This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Ely on the volley! What a finish! Johnny Kinga has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot! And Johnny Russell has a hat trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you download your audio content, we appreciate you listening. And we are joining you live, which is not necessarily the way we usually do things on the SKC Show these days. We work around player schedules. We work around uh, other things to bring you the best interviews and content and all that stuff. So a lot of times we record this thing in the middle of the day and then we post it on the on the show at night and we post it on social media. But this time around we're going live. Nate, don't tell them. I know. Peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing this, should I? But... We're live because we wanted to react to the USA versus Jamaica match, which just wrapped up a little over an hour ago. And we got a big show coming up for you. We will react to Jamaica versus uh, USA. We will also react a little bit to USA versus Mexico, which took place on Friday. And we're going to spend a lot of time getting ready for the big playoff match on Saturday between Sporting Kansas City and the Vancouver Whitecaps. We are presented, as always, by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And we are joined, as always, you just heard the voice of Allie Trost. What's up, Allie? How are you? I am great. Would have been better with a U.S. win, but you get a point, and I'm still I'm still coming down from the high of the Mexico win, so... We'll, uh, we'll we'll take that. We'll take we'll take the point. Okay, we'll That's take, how I'm we'll take the point and be happy with it. And Busio got to start. So. And, and we'll and we'll take the return of the the, the man, the myth, the legend back from uh, Ireland. Connell McCourt yes. has uh, made his triumphant return across the pond. Hello, Connell. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's great to be back and amongst broadcasting legends such as yourselves again. So. Oh, oh, flattery Butter will get you everywhere. Here we yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, we look, love you, Connell. We do. We do. All right, let's let's get into it, guys, because we are coming up on the show. We're going to hear from Graham Zusi. Uh, Ali and I were both out of training today. I had a chance to do a sit down interview with Graham Zusi uh, in advance of the playoffs and with Peter Vermees. We'll hear both of those interviews coming up on the show, but let's start off with the U.S. men's national team. On Friday, Dos Acero, uh, the USA over Mexico, and then today, 1-1 in Jamaica. Uh, Timothy Weah with the goal in the 11th minute to give the United States the lead, and then Mikhail Antonio, who uh, making his triumphant return to Jamaica with uh, one of the goals of the qualifying campaign so far uh, to make it 1-1. Jamaica thought... They had a match winner late on in this one that was disallowed for a controversial foul call on Damian Lowe, um, and uh, that made the scoreline one-one. Ali, your reaction? Um, let's start with I'm trying to think. let's start with this game today. Jamaica versus USA. What did you think? Yeah, well, I mean, number one, a tough match. It's tough to come off of a win like the U.S. had over Mexico, and then to come out. You're missing McKinney, missing Robinson, and you got to go out and, and try to get a point. You mix up the midfield, bring Busio in, who 
I thought, all in all, had a had a good game for his first uh, World Cup qualifying start. Congrats to Busio. That's just you know one little thing I'll squeeze in with the takeaways. But that, Antonio's goal completely changed that game. I thought the U.S. kind of came out on the front foot there. Wea just getting more and more confident, really growing into this team, and is definitely one of the rising stars of this U.S. national team. Um, but Jamaica. Got, they got themselves back into that game, and I think the U.S. is very fortunate to walk away with uh, with a point in this one. Connell and I were watching that uh, that disallowed goal and, and the call. We didn't really get that good of an angle on it. Kind of looked a little soft from the <laughs> angle that I saw, I guess, in the immediate replay. But um, yeah, it, it was a it was a chippy game, and you know, the U.S. just didn't really have a lot after Wea's goal. So it. I, I think a fair result to come away with a point when they just didn't really have, I think they only had two shots on goal in that entire game. So uh, I think pretty fair. And yeah. I mean, I, I thought, I mean, I kind of thought the U S got away with one in the end, just with the, the, I mean, the penalty that should have been given probably the handball and then the goal that they scored yeah. later on as well. When you take, you'll, you would take the point definitely hundred percent. I agree with what you said. USA came out a much better team. Thought that Antonio Gold kind of knocked the wind out of their sails a bit. They didn't really seem to have as much energy going forward after that is because I mean, look, I think a lot of them were shell shocked. First of all, like Zach Steffen, more than most because that was an unbelievable goal to take it down. The power, strength that he had, getting the shot off, and the postage stop top corner. No keeper's going to go. No keeper's going to save that. So kind of took the wind out of their sails a bit. I thought the US came back into it the, the longer the game went on, but at the end, it seemed like the better chances were falling to Jamaica. So probably a good point to get away with. Uh, and then with this Canada Mexico game on later, we'll see how the standings end up. But not a bad point away, especially Jamaica un, unbeaten in five. Last time they were beaten was by the US that two 0 game. So they're coming into their stride. US kind of already through. So. Kind of job definitely a Kingston. tough Jamaica side. I mean, you can't overlook them as as an opponent. And the field did look not great. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, the environment was fine. It wasn't like a super intimidating place to play, but the field looked very like like that was some tall, thick grass that they yeah. were playing in. So and it seemed to affect both teams as well. Like it, it looked like when Jamaica were trying to play football, I thought coming into it they would just try and get space, find the channels, and, and some trying of the to pacing, work for... The pacing was off a little bit, too. Like, Abusio was uh, definitely hurting a few times, just trying to play with a little bit more pace on the ball and then kind of overhit it a bit, and mm-hmm. I, it just looked like that had a small impact on the game. I don't know how much that really changes things, but there were a lot of numbers, too. I can pull some of those up here in a second, Nate, just... Uh, that kind of helped tell that story. Well, the field is a lot better than the one they're going to be playing on in Canada tonight. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 17 degrees below zero. I'm such zero. a wuss. I like, oh, I would hate that. I would, <laughs> I, I, I'm not cut out for. I don't think the Mexican that. players are going to like it either. That's going to be really interesting. That comes up right after the end of this show tonight at 8 o'clock. So, folks, you're going to want to watch that on Paramount Plus if you can, because all of a sudden it's a three team race for first place in, uh, in this CONCACAF uh, octagonal. And there is a little bit of separation all of a sudden happening between the top four teams USA, Mexico, Canada, Panama. And then there's a drop off from everyone after that. And you want to get one of those top three spots. There's a chance Mexico ends up in fourth place by the end of the proceedings mm-hmm. tonight, depending on how things go between Panama and El Salvador and how things go, obviously, north of the border. So that's going to be interesting. I think it, I want to go back to what you said, Connell. You said no keeper in the world is stopping that shot. Do we really feel that way? Brianna Scurry I at was halftime say, yeah. felt that, that Zach Steffen could have done better. I bring her up because she's a goalkeeper. Um 
they asked Moadu about it during the game, and he said, "No, I don't. I think it's too harsh to blame him for it. You don't think?" I agree he, with Moadu. Okay. I mean, I just I heard I heard that she was saying about he got his feet, his footing wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they were asking if the other keeper would have saved it. But I don't. I mean, I think that's incredibly harsh. Even the fact that he took the shot on from where he did. I don't even think Tyler Adams expected him to take it. You see yeah. him backing off a little bit as if he was going to try and find someone. Mm-hmm. And the next thing he just lets it go. I mean, what do you do? You have seconds to react. But I guess at that top elite level, that's probably the difference getting into the World Cup. Well, I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, none of no one in this room, we can't bring that perspective. Like, Brianna Scurry, yeah, like, if she right. says that, I mean, yeah, if that's now, something I will that you say, picked up she's on. She's not saving it. Um, <laughs> but is Matt Turner? That's the only question yeah, that yeah, matters. Is Matt Turner saving that? And I feel like there's a chance he does. Really? Yeah. I think that's a bit harsh. Like, I mean, maybe. And he, when he played for the U.S. in those recent games, I don't think he'd done anything to lose his position. So he can feel really hard done by that he didn't mm-hmm. actually didn't get in ahead of Zach Steffen. But look, Zach Steffen seems to be Burr Halter's guy. And, and that was also a worldie of it. I mean, like, from that distance, too, it's like you're not expecting, as a keeper, you should be ready for everything. Yeah. But you're also not expecting him to take that shot and so quickly I mean the, literally the second he got you know himself in a, in a position to, to fire the shot off like the ball was off of his foot and, and it all happened just the pace of the ball when he hit it too like the keeper was still diving in the air and the ball was flying into the back of the net like it, it yeah. rifled past him like so I don't know I think it's a bit harsh to blame yeah. the goalkeeper the stitches were flying off of that thing I so. think there's a difference between blaming the goalkeeper and saying that another goalkeeper what was if, able to save it though you know what I mean there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a gray area there it's just hard to know I mean I I don't know. You know I, it's, a have to, it's a It's a hypothetical, but I, I don't know if there's some advanced stats on uh, <laughs> certain situations from a certain distance and, and who's more likely to save him, who's been in more of those spots. But I don't know. If that's the case, then they could be arguing that Tyler Adams should have got closer to him. Should, the shot shouldn't even have got off. Uh, you got to anticipate the danger. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you tip your cap. It's a great goal. I mean, right. I think you're fair on that. Uh, the foul call that disallowed the goal. You touched on it, Allie. I thought, I thought it was a little soft. I'll say it this way. If the United States score that goal and it's Walker Zimmerman being called for a foul on that play, I'm livid. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely livid. Yeah. Twitter's a very we're, different we're, place we're, right now. We're yeah. accusing the CONCACAF refs of CONCACAFing us out of a, of a win, uh, nefarious plots against us and all that. I, I would be livid. So I got to say, that's a, I, if I'm Jamaica, I'm pretty mad about that call. I mean, the... The damning thing for me was, and sometimes this happens, like, but when they showed the replay of it, I was like, right, well, so it's not Zimmerman if that's not the foul. There must be another foul. Like, so when I'd seen a bunch of Jamaica players were making their run from the edge of the box, so I was like, one of them must get fouled, or one of them must foul someone here. And it didn't come. Because we, so, so we were both watching it, we were trying to figure out, because clearly they knew, like, they set up and imme- immediately did a really quick restart. So they, like, they knew that it was, like, they earned a, uh, you know, a yeah, Zach Staffan seemed they to earned, know, yeah. They knew, but like watching it back, we're, we were both looking at it like, mm, I, who who was the guilty party here? Because mm. I didn't think it was so obvious, even on the first replay, which is always hard when you've got bodies in the box. But I, I like you said, Nate, if that's a call against the United States, Twitter blows we'll, up. We'll put, we'll put it this way. See if it is, say, hypothetical, they have VAR. They go back and look at it. Do you think that gets overturned? No. I, I think don't think you can overturn it. Gold stands, definitely. I think. Do you think well, so? What, you think they overturn it? Clear no, and obvious. No, error? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything clear and obvious that they could overturn. So then, then it's a then it's a foul. Yeah. I mean, because he called a foul on the field, so it's got to be a clear and obvious error to overturn it. Right. And so my point is, 
I think it's a soft penalty. I'm pretty mad about it. But is there enough evidence there to say that's clearly not a foul? You right. got to overturn it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't. With the threshold we've seen, yeah, I have yet to see an angle it. of it though. Like all, I I'm not sure what the foul is. Are they saying that he held him down yeah. to jump up? But, up I, but, I, but it's hard to tell from because the only angle that I've seen is like facing his back so you can't mm-hmm. see from the front like where his hands are placed because to me that is going to tell the story better than yeah it looks like from the back you can see he he has his hands up but i i don't know how much force was actually mm. used to like i it's just hard to tell from the angle that i've been able to find on it okay so one of the t- storylines for us especially here in kansas city as well Jean-Luc Abusio makes his starting debut in a World Cup qualifier for the United States men's national team at 19 years old. He starts in place of Weston McKinney, who was suspended for this game, and he plays all 90 minutes. Um, I know, Connell, you pointed out to us, there's some Twitter activity mm-hmm. involving Jean-Luc Abusio, Matt Doyle, who's kind of... He has not rated Busio the way a lot of us have because he, he always wants to bring up some of the, 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 the stats duels. about duels He's and tackles. With yeah, duels yeah. So what? And then there was a little bit of uh, pushback from Daniel Shallowy. Mm-hmm. Can you recap that for us? So Matoid basically said, summed up, this, uh, this must have been in game. Busio currently, this is quote, Busio currently zero tackles, zero recovery, zero interceptions, zero fouls, most damning, blah, blah, blah. And then Daniel Shallowy quotes him saying, "Hey Matthew, you remember?" No, no, read the whole thing. You got, you can't blah blah blah. You got to read the whole thing. Well, he was basically just pointing out the main thing of those stats was the most damning one was the zero duels. Jamaica doesn't even feel him out there. He's just not around the game at all. Basically, saying that he was a non-factor. In the Jamaica the doesn't feel him out there. That's probably right. the biggest, the biggest line from that. That uh, outside of the stats. And so Daniel Shallowy quotes him saying, "Hey Matthew, remember you started your first World Cup qualifier at 19, which." He's making he's making a good point. Look, he's he's nineteen as well. Remember, he's not going to be the best player on the pitch every game. But I thought that was a, a bit harsh again. I don't even think he had a terrible well, game. And I, to me, it's like if you're going to to you know pick and choose which stats you want to use to fit your narrative, like at least be willing to then credit give credit where credit's due. And, and up to this point, I think that's been the biggest criticism of Doyle is that he has just really like honed in on this one statistic and seems to only you know talk about Busio whenever it fits into the, his narrative about him not being a strong enough presence in the midfield and you know winning enough duels in a game uh Patrick Bergabo also I he hates when I give him shout outs but whatever Patrick <laughs> hey here we go uh pa- Patrick chimed in and quote tweeted and actually like elaborated and pulled more of this of the stats you know to help round out the story here it's like okay like stop <laughs> focusing on just these like few things Busio today most key passes most tackles third highest pass percentage among starters tied for third most recoveries and tied for fourth highest dual success all while making his first world cup qualifier start so it's like Busio didn't have a bad game was it his best game no but i also think that when you're you're coming in and you're starting in a midfield that you know, it has been so dominated by three players up to this point, and you're finding your your flow and your rhythm in that. Like, it's going to take a little bit of time, and and I just think that if you're going to only look at those numbers and and focus on a one moment in time, like at least be willing to to go deeper into the story of of Busio's performance. Oops. And Busio also, almost by the way had a beautiful goal. So mm-hmm. if he scores that, I think the the entire narrative around Busio's impact on the game is completely different. But it just shows you you can use the stats to manipulate whatever 
I mean, if that's what no. you want. But nobody would ever do that, these, Connell. These no one would, no, no like would ever take numbers just to, to, to support their own narrative. Right. I mean, obviously the Venezia coach doesn't think so because he's played more minutes than any U.S. product in Serie A this season. Which is amazing. Greg Bearhalter does, obviously doesn't. He, he had left Kellen him out Acosta's there for all 90 minutes. Sitting there and he didn't <laughs> yeah. play him. So. Well, he put Acosta in for Musa. Well, he must yeah. be. That's him. I mean, Busio must be doing something right because those two coaches think he's he's okay. So obviously, I doubt Greg Bearhalter has Busio in the locker room right I now. Also just, he lost all these duels. Did I didn't you? realize no, like how like if you're looking at a midfielder, like of all like the the components that go into to the position and like no duels. That's what we're looking yeah. at, and that only. It's obviously an important part, but it's like. It's just he is very hung up on this one part of Busio's game, and seems to only come out and talk about it when the duels are maybe not. And it's like not even he doesn't even wait till the end of the game. He's like, oh nope, zero duels, right? Stop the count, because <laughs> like right. that's the narrative. That's I guess, it. And that's I'm gonna offer up that there's there's room for all of this to be true. Um. There is room for Busio to grow in the areas of the field that call for being a little bit more of a destroyer. Mm -hmm. That's probably not his strong suit. He's not Roger Espinosa out there wrecking people and putting in tackles. Would any of us argue that Weston McKinney would have been more of a force, quote unquote, in the midfield had he played there? I don't think that that's unfair to say. That's also more of his style. There's a drop off there in that regard. And then you talk about Patrick Bergabo's tweets. It's also fair to say key passes, retention of possession, calmness on the ball, willingness to present himself as an option to his teammates when they're trying to play out of the back, uh, create chances, things like that. Busio is a pretty darn good player. Um, positionally aware, in the right places. There are a lot of times out there where he doesn't go in for a tackle. He just turns the defender backwards and makes him play back or makes him play under pressure and then the next pass is intercepted. I don't know what statistics there are for that, but to me, that's a useful player. That's still a guy that's doing something. And and then the, the concept of 19 years old making his debut. Of course we should grant him the opportunity to grow, uh, just like all these other players have. Tim Weah didn't go out there and put up the performances he's putting up right now, his first time he put on a U.S. national team jersey. But on the flip side, I'll also say this. This is U.S. men's national team now. Right. Yeah. This is, this is senior club qualifier stuff. If the coach puts you on the field, you're expected to produce. To me, like it's your fair game now. It doesn't matter if you're 16 years old. doesn't matter if you're 20. You get to be judged on your ability to help this team qualify for the World Cup or not because the stakes get no higher. And I think so, Busio would say the exact same yeah. thing. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what it is why Doyle has this thing against Busio. There are certain criticisms I think are fair, and we can. Ex- I th- I'm secure enough in my love of Gianluca Busio <laughs> to say, yeah, he's not a perfect player yet, um, but he's damn good. And I don't think I don't think that that characterization. Uh, I think that's overly harsh on Busio. I thought Busio played a fine game. I did too. I, I don't. He think also he... wasn't the number six. Yeah. I mean, he's not yeah. the one in there breaking up play. Yeah. That's not probably wasn't what he was told to do. Yeah. I mean, all this thing about duels and stuff. That's Adams. It's Tyler Adams is the yeah. Mid- he's the destroyer. In I there. think in that system, it's kind of like Sportings though, where the, the the two advanced midfielders are supposed to kind of play like eights. Yeah, and be and very you're supposed to. Yeah, there's you know. no, yeah, there's no real ten. The, the yeah, are kind of working yeah. together. Yeah, for sure. So uh, look, but again, when it's like when you do have to switch up the midfield, and when you are Busio getting your first start, like Busio is still very relatively new to this this 
a team and where his what his role is and, and how he's going to fit into that system and the hand was forced with McKenney not being available and they made adjustments and I think all of those things considered like you said, he played a fine game, and there's room to grow, which I think is the promising thing. If you're going to sit there and only yeah. look at Busio through the lens of how many duels he wins, well, then you're missing out on all of the things that make him a fantastic player in so many other areas. So, yeah, I, I'm i with you. I thought it was a fine game. They get out with a draw on the road. I think a fine result, especially when you consider the the disallowed goal that, eh, I don't know, <laughs> like you could kind of see that going a number of different ways. And then the fact that they didn't, they didn't have a lot of offensive production outside of Wea's goal. So, you know, when you look at that as well, to walk away with a draw even after conceding and almost conceding, you know, a, a second one there, uh, I think your U.S. is looking pretty good right now. So we will take a break. We're going to start talking about Sporting Kansas City in the playoffs next. Last thing I'll just say is, I thought Jamaica did a good job of making the game ugly. You know, when, <laughs> when, when, when they, they fouled the in the right times, they slowed the game down in the right times, they did what, what CONCACAF teams at home do best, which is, is not allow sport, uh, the United States to get into any real flows, especially once they scored the goal. As you said, Connell, that, that kind of took the wind out of the United States' sails. And Pulisic came into the game. And each time he touched the ball and started to cut inside on him, they chopped him to the Check ground. Them. You know, and, and if the ref isn't going to card those things right away, then they, they handle it the right way. And that's what happens. That's why it's hard to get wins on the road in CONCACAF. And again, the United States are in pretty good shape. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Graham Zussi, and we're going to start talking about this big playoff game on Saturday at Children's Mercy Park right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. I am looking at tweets from the Canadian national team. Oh man! And the video of the field that they have—they've uh, been able to clear the snow off of the surface in Alberta. But I think that not the ice because that—that. That, that, oh, I didn't think about. Oh, it's just going to be miserable up there. That game starts in. What's the temp? I need to. Sixteen degrees. It was said. 16, the wind chill is 16. And, like, okay, who in this room has played on a frozen soccer field before? Because I I have one very distinct memory growing up. And, granted, this was uh, U16 soccer in Midwest winter. But, my gosh, like... The worst experience. Yeah, you're not wanting to you're fall playing on concrete, head, yeah. and we've heard enough of that from you know sporting Kansas City players who remember what it was like playing in that 2013 uh, MLS Cup. Jimmy Nielsen, the broken ribs, diving on basically frozen ground—a um, heroic effort. But yeah, that's that's going to be tough. I mean, even for Canada, like you're, you're used to that, but like unless you had some experience playing hockey growing up, I don't, I don't yeah, know. They usually play hockey indoors at this time of year, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they, um, the the. Yeah, the, my happiest memory as a sporting Kansas City fan is involves a game that cold, so I guess I shouldn't say anything, but it, it looks miserable up there. We'll see. Panama's already conceded a goal to El Salvador, so that is interesting, and I guess that's good news for the United States if you're worried about uh, Panama creeping up there into uh, the conversation in the top three. We'll see where that goes. All right, let's get into it. Sporting Kansas City, guys, will be taking on the Vancouver Whitecaps on Saturday at 4 o'clock at Children's Mercy Park. Uh, Limited tickets are available, so get your tickets at SportingKC.com. And uh, before we get into our conversation, I want to start off with a brief conversation I had with Graham Zussi today when I saw him at the field, courtesy of our friends at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City. 
All right, we're getting ready for the first round of the playoffs for Sporting Kansas City, and we're talking with Graham Zusi, who is a representative of the Sporting Kansas City Blue Cross Blue Shield Blue KC Sporting Samaritans program. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but first, Graham, I want to talk to you about playoffs. I mean, it's here, and you've got a lot of experience when it comes to, to going into this second season, as Peter Vermees likes to call it. I'm curious with the week off, too, is it just completely like a new season? How, how would you describe the transition from the end of the regular season to uh, getting ready for this uh, this tournament format yeah it is a bit um you know almost you know if you make the playoffs it it almost doesn't matter what you do um because playoffs are a whole different beast but um what we can take from the the regular season is is how consistent we've been throughout and um you know i think we can we can take take uh, pleasure and pride that We've been consistently very strong uh, throughout the year and, and, and take that into the playoffs. Um, we didn't squeak in at the last second. Um, we, we feel like we absolutely deserve to be there and we can fight for uh, for that trophy at the end. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's a scenario where it is win or go home, and um, and we, we definitely are looking at it that way. So you're taking on this Vancouver team, and, and even though it's a new season, it wasn't that long ago that you played them in a big game up in Vancouver, and you caught them right as they were kind of starting to ride this wave that they've taken into the postseason. What maybe stood out to you about what, what was so impressive about them at that time? Because they, they continued it all the way up to the last game of the season. Yeah, I, I thought that they were actually – very disciplined in their approach to that game um you know it was it was very obvious that they had a, a a structured game plan going into that one specifically and uh to be honest i expected to be very similar to to that game uh that we played in vancouver um you know we can we can certainly learn some things from that game uh, i think uh towards the end of this first half and and definitely in the second half um, we made a couple tweaks to our to our system, and it uh, it seemed beneficial. We, we unfortunately couldn't get the the tying and, and potential winning goal, but um, we feel that you know, based on on ourselves and looking at ourselves, we can uh, go into that game with uh, a lot of confidence to be able to break them down. I think one of the things that, that we've talked a lot about, too, over the past couple of weeks is getting healthy going yeah. into the postseason because you guys just haven't been healthy for a while. You've gotten a chance to work with the guys and having the bye week. How uh, how much of a difference or how, how significant do you think that's going to be? Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was huge for, for me personally, for I think the entire group as well. Um, it was a it was a wild ending to that season. A lot of games and, and just a few uh, few rest days in between those games. So. Uh, to get a, a, a solid 10 days um, to just recharge the batteries, um, get some some good training sessions in, uh, I think it's going to bode well for our for our health going into this one. All right, visiting with Graham Zusi, and we want to talk about the Sporting Kansas City Blue Cross Blue Shield Blue KC Sporting Samaritan Program. And the, and the winner that I want to talk to you about is Michelle Langton, who is a structured learning classroom teacher at Broken Arrow Elementary School in Shawnee, Kansas. She was honored on October 3rd at Children's Mercy Park. Got four tickets to the game, honored before the game, gets the gift card and all that for her family. And, and I, you know, you're one of the, the representatives of this program. Why is it so important to you to, to maybe make sure that we honor people like Michelle who are teachers in our community? Yeah, I, you know, teachers are, uh, I, I don't want to use the word underappreciated, but uh, maybe under undervalued is, is the better word. Um, they're, they're 
they're keystones in our community and what they do um, is just so important for our, our youth development and uh, and, and shaping uh, shaping our, our the kids of our future so um, what Michelle's been been able to do in her classroom is is quite inspiring and um, I, I I'm so happy that she's she's being recognized by uh, Blue, Cape, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And one of the things that she really prioritizes has been inclusivity, making sure that that her classroom is a place that's welcoming to people of all backgrounds. And it kind of makes me think of soccer sometimes. You you have a lot of different backgrounds out here. How, how important is that to be in an environment where everybody feels safe and, and welcome? Oh, it's huge. Uh, you know, like you said, um, our, our team is an, is an absolute melting pot of, of, of diversity. And, um, you know, I, I think... I think our, our organization does uh, a fantastic job in, in making sure uh, that that everyone feels uh, welcomed and, and, and loved and appreciated. So uh, you can definitely make the comparisons between <clears throat> between our team and and a classroom like like Michelle's. Graham, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck on Saturday. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nate. And also, congratulations to Michelle Langton. She is one of our Blue Cross Blue Shield Blue KC Sporting Samaritan. She was honored in early October on the field. And uh, we want to keep making sure we recognize all the heroes in our community through Blue Cross and Blue Shield. If you know a teacher or a student who makes Kansas City a better place to live, work, and play, you can nominate them to be recognized as a Blue KC Sporting Samaritan by going online to sportingkc.com slash bluekc. That's sportingkc.com slash bluekc. All right, so there's Graham Zussi, and to go back to it, he, he talked about momentum when you're in the playoffs. The Vancouver Whitecaps lost to Pacific FC. Uh, in the Canadian Championship, 4-3 to three on August 26th, and Mark Dos Santos was fired. Since then, Vinny Sartini taking over as the interim manager. Seven wins, two losses, five draws. They finished the season on a six-game unbeaten streak, which began with their win over Sporting Kansas City six games ago. If there's one team that's happy there was a bye week before this playoff, it's sporting Mm -hmm. because they were not going in with momentum and they needed to get healthy. If there's a team that wanted to play this game, maybe after a couple of days to nurse their hangover, Allie. They certainly needed that. (laughs) It was the Vancouver Whitecaps. I think Sporting Kansas City are hoping that extra week is what the doctor ordered for them and not what Vancouver wanted. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because we talked earlier in the season, Sporting um, were winless this year coming off of double digits days rest, which, you know, those stats, trends sometimes don't really tell the story and oftentimes don't mean anything. Daniel Shallow was like, Allie, what, don't ask me that question because, like, I, I expect that from Hungary, but we don't need that negativity here. But it, <laughs> it was the case for them in the regular season. But you're right. They needed that time to get rested and healthy after ending the season with five games in 15 days. Like, that is an impossible stretch when you're trying to, to build momentum while also dealing with the knocks. Like, we've heard, Nate, so many of the guys talk about this. When it, you get to this point of the season, like, everyone's banged up in some way, shape, or form. Some more so than others. But, I mean, Polito back in practice. We saw Gotti Kinda out there today. Johnny Russell, Daniel Shallow. I mean, how many times have you been able to say all four of those names uh, – anticipating that they'll be available for the upcoming game. I mean, very few times this season. Whereas you look at Vancouver, and if anything, the break might hurt a team that, I mean, to my knowledge, I can't 
think of any like super serious injuries that they were dealing with in the way that sporting right. were at the end of the season. And when, when you're Vanny Sartini, I kind of feel like it's been almost like pants on fire, right? Like you're it, it, this kind of crazy, like you go from this last place team that's fighting their way back and squeaks into the playoffs. I like the way that Graham Zussi had said that, you know, that was very opposite of, of what happened with sporting, but can they carry that momentum now after some time off? Do, do, does a team like that almost need to just kind of keep going fast and furious? Whereas sporting on the other hand, they end the season uh, on a sour note, but know that getting that time off allows them to get back closer to where we've seen them at their very best this season. And at their very best, you need depth. In the playoffs, you need depth. And Sporting looks to, to be getting closer and closer to a position where they're going to be at as about full strength as they could possibly be, which is a dangerous position, especially with them playing at home. Well, momentum is a massive thing. I mean, especially the way the format is of this league. It's not like other leagues around the world that in that whoever's at the top of the West at the end doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. win everything. You just win the West, you get a better seed going in, and you get a bye as well. But... Vancouver were coming off. I mean, they had some good away wins and stuff as well. It beat Portland away from home the last few games of the season. The, they were coming in ready to go. Sporting, as you said, were probably grateful for the week that they could get try, try to reset the batteries. Uh, three games slayed at the end of the season. It just it wasn't really going for them, and we know how massive momentum is. The one thing you can hold on to is Sporting are a better team than Vancouver. Yeah. They are. They, they are... I mean, man for man, and they all know that. Like Daniel said that today. He's like, you know, when you look at these two teams, we have like they are very confident in their side going into this game, and they should be. Um, I also, you know, trust the experience of this Sporting Kansas City team, and this is not just with the players, but with if you look at these two coaches. I mean, there, there's a very there are very few staffs more experienced than the one. Uh, that Sporting Kansas City have. And, and, and you know you know exactly what you're going to get. Vancouver's going to play this game the way they played the one we played up there, the way they played the last time they came into KC. They're going to try and sit back, frustrate Sporting, try and catch them on the counter, try and create space with the fullbacks bombing forward. They hope that it stays nil-nil for as long as possible so they can try and catch Sporting out. But as I said, Sporting are the better team if Sporting play their football and create the spaces and open up the pockets like they do usually, then... It should be a win, but easier I'm, said than done. I'm hearing a lot of conversation of you've got to hire Vanny Sartini now as your full-time coach. You have to. The way he's closed out this season, 7-2-5, and five, uh, it's just a done deal. I, I push back on that. I'm not saying they shouldn't hire him, but the idea that you just have to do that now, I think you see this in sports all the time. Uh, an interim manager takes over, and there's a change in momentum. The team rides that momentum, and they have some success, and then they feel like they've got to abandon whatever search process they were going to go through mm-hmm. and, and make the emotional decision to go with the hot hand. Danny Sartini might very well go on to be one of the greatest coaches in Major League Soccer history and all of that. Or he also might be riding a wave of emotion right now that's working for this team right now. And I think we also shouldn't forget about things like the addition of Ryan Gold in in August. Uh, Four goals and six assists. Connell, you watch a lot of the Scottish League. Mm -hmm. You know what kind of player he is. Brian White, 12 goals and five assists since they picked him up in June. And I will give credit to Vanny Sartini on this, having the guts to move him into the starting position over Cavallini, who's Mm -hmm. a designated player who hasn't brought as much to the table as Brian White. So it's not just Sartini. 
I've had a chance to spend some time around Vanny Sartini a few years ago when Kerry Zavagnin was going through his pro licensing course with U.S. Soccer. It was a fairly new process. At the time, uh, the soccer licensing in the United States only went up to the A level. And then they introduced a pro level license. Peter Vermees was one of the first, uh, a member of the first class to get their, their pro license. A year long process. And part of the process is you get assigned a coach from U.S. Soccer who comes and works with you and will spend time with you at training with your club and and all this time off the field together. So Vanny Sartini was that guy for Kerry Zavagnin when he went through his licensing Mm -hmm. program. And I got to spend a lot of time with him because he spent about a week with Kerry attached at his hip during Sporting Kansas City's training down in Tucson, Arizona. And Kerry introduced him to me. And this guy, like, I hope he gets a job because he's entertaining as hell. He's got great, you know, his post-game you know, conferences are awesome. They're entertaining. His personality. He, and, and I will tell you this. What you're seeing from him in post-games right now is not an act. No, it's because so genuine. Because he was introduced to me, some random broadcaster from Kansas <laughs> City by Carries of Agnet. And the next thing I know, he's talking to me for a half an hour about U.S. soccer. And here's our philosophy. And here's how we want to play. And here's what we're going to do. And he could talk to all of us that way you know, because he just he's, he is a very enthusiastic person. And he loves, loves the concept of coaching soccer. I don't know that that means he's going to be great at what he does, but it's fun to have him around, and it's going to be interesting to see now they get into the playoffs where this thing goes. Well, I think it's a good point, though. You don't abandon the search, or you hope that they don't. They should go through a formal process still, and if you still come out and say, Vanny Sartini's our guy, then go for it. It is very clear that he has found a way to really like take this entire team. Like They are, they love as, it. They, they are, they are as united as a group as you could imagine an interim coach to be with his team. Kerry Zvagnin speaks very highly of his tactics, too. He's, mm-hmm. The team's organized. The team's disciplined. They follow the... They and fo- Tim Melia said yeah. that today. He was like... or uh, I think it was... Well, no. Graham was just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like They were so disciplined and tactically. Mm-hmm. like They really came out and, and had a game plan and, and executed it well. And I mean, you mentioned Ryan Gall. I think that's going to be a key player for sporting to shut down. You don't want to give him space and keep keep him off the ball. But it's interesting you say that because obviously Sporting's a more possession-oriented team than this Vancouver side. But I was listening to some Vanny Sartini po- uh, press conferences this week, and he was saying like their approach to this game is to be very aggressive and to try and press incredibly yeah, high. We'll and see. We'll mm. see. I'm like, yeah, I, that could be a smokescreen. We'll and, and, and and again, that if we're talking tactics, tactics off the field too, and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I, he was saying that I'm like, hmm. But that's it. I mean, and that'll play right into Sporting's hands because if you want to do that and you want to push sporting your full backside, yeah. I mean, that's fine. But you're going to have Johnny Russell, Carrie Sh- or Daniel Shalloway and Pluto run at you potentially. So do that at your own risk. It could be three 0 at half time if that's the case. If he's going to go out and do that to Sporting, I mean. But when you're saying about do you give him the job? Do you keep him as the interim coach? I kind of lean more to what you're saying because you want to keep him hungry. Like you want to. There has to be a dangled carrot in front of him. He has to want this job. I remember a few years ago uh, England, I think it was, got beat. They got put at a semi-final or whatever and right after the tournament they gave Gareth Southgate a new contract mm-hmm. which extended beyond the next World Cup and it's kind of, well alright, I've already arrived then. You're not you're not kind of working towards something. He wasn't kept hungry whereas that's probably why you see so much fire, so much animosity from uh, when he's around the team and obviously the team have bought into it. 
because yeah, they finished I, the season very strongly. I just want to know what your long-term vision is. And if you're changing your mind based on emotional things from month to month, then what's your long-term vision? We'll take a break. We're going to get to the, the sporting side of things with care, with uh, Peter Vermees. There's a man with a long-term vision. We, we know that. That's, oh, yeah. that's been here for quite a while. We'll hear from him as we get ready again for this playoff game on Saturday on the Sporting KC Show. Sporting Kansas City hosting Vancouver Whitecaps Sunday, 4 o'clock, Children's Mercy Park. Limited tickets available at SportingKC.com. We are looking at 55 degrees in the middle of the day. Should be, you know what, you're talking about the week of Thanksgiving, uh, having weather like that in Kansas City. Can't complain about it at all. Need to have a great crowd there. We'll have a great crowd there at Children's Mercy Park. I had a chance to talk with Peter Vermees at training today, and you're going to want to listen for the end of this because I asked him what we can expect, at least in terms of what type of player he's going to be, not how many minutes, but what type of player Alan Polito is going to be working his way back from injury as well. But here's my conversation with Peter Vermees. All right, Peter, you said at the end of the regular season, it's a new season. Um, and I'm curious, having a couple of weeks to get ready for the new season, good thing, bad thing, how do you feel about having that extra week going into the playoffs? I, I think uh, it's never easy when you have a bye weekend, but I also think that when the season ends and you go into the playoffs, it's maybe a little different. I think... Uh, you need a little bit of a mental break, especially with the way our season was at the end with so many games in, in, in that, you know, two, three week period of time. You know, we were playing every Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday or whatever, Sunday, you know, it was just three games a week. Uh, and it was it was a lot. Uh, it, was, it was a lot for the group. So I think both physically and mentally, it was really good for us to have the break. And, and, and I think the guys are, are, are coming back, you know, in the training this week with a with a much better mindset, you know, a clear head. Do you think the guys have a chip on their shoulder going into the playoffs, or does that even matter? I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it's a tough one to answer. I think that the good thing is, is we have quite a few guys that have been in the playoffs before. They understand uh, what it's like. And, and it's, uh, you know, when I said it was a new season, I, I it's really, it's a, it's, it's a season that's completely different than regular season uh, games. Because the intensity of the game just rises. Um, I mean, everybody, you know, referees included, there's, it, it takes on a different aura. And I even think, like, the referees realize that the intensity is higher. They're a little bit more, yeah, maybe lenient's not the word. They just realize there's an intensity, so there's going to be physical confrontations on the field. But a lot of them are just players playing hard, not necessarily, you know, bad tackles or what have you. And, and I think that the game takes on a life of its own. So I think from that point of view, it's, it's different. I don't know if the guys have a chip. I just think they need to be ready for that, that intensity. So this Vancouver team you saw not long ago, and it was right when they were starting to kind of build this wave of momentum that they closed out the season with to get into the playoffs. And I remember you talking about how impressed you were with some of the things that they did at that time. Um, maybe to rewind that a little bit, what is it that, that maybe stands out to you about what they were able to accomplish down the stretch to get into the postseason? Well, I, I think you – I don't think it's hard to realize that being away from home has an effect on you. So getting home just in itself was, was a – a big positive for them. I think, um, you know, a lot of times whenever you make a coaching change, there's there's a there's a, uh, a bump in the team um, that happens quite often. And you know, credit to the players as well. They they've worked hard and, and they're feeling good about themselves. The the for all of us, I think when the season ends, you know, there's a whole new thing that starts. And and the, like I said, the 
players, the playoffs wind up being a different animal. And so um, for everyone, it's, it's, it takes on a life of its own and you have to be prepared for it. Last thing, and I, I'm not asking you for any any insight on how much he's going to play or anything like that, but just seeing Allen back out on the field, how's he looking so far, and, and how big has that been to just have him back in training? Yeah, he's progressing for sure. Um, you know, the, the funny thing about him is he doesn't lose his uh, his IQ. Um, and I'm not saying that all players do, but his IQ is so high that he, he, he finds, you know, good spots on the field. And um, it's it's it, this is definitely a progression for him, but he's – He's feeling good, which is great, and he doesn't have any of the reactions which were negative prior to his surgery. Um, so he feels really good from that point of view, and it's now just, you know, a little bit each day, and that's what he's been doing. But I think it's a good. Uh, I think for him, it's been good. I think for the rest of the team, it's been good, and you know, we'll see how the week progresses depending on you know where he is. Peter, thanks a lot for the time. Good luck on Saturday. Thank you. Okay, so there at the end, you heard Peter talking about Alan Polito. And guys, I don't know about you, it's almost easy to forget that Polito is on this team. It's just been a while since he's really been a major factor for the team, and it's been a while since he's been a consistent major factor for the team. But then you look at it and you think about, like, what, when he has played, he has produced for this team. Now, Having not played since his knee surgery, can he just jump right back in into the starting 11 and do it? I don't know what Peter Vermees is going to do, but I thought in that answer he gave a little bit of an insight in terms of from a strategic tactical standpoint, Polito hasn't dropped off at all. You know, now physically, he said he's not reacting as much as knee, his knee problems are not giving him problems the way that they were before. Do you, do you put him in and start him? Do you play him an hour? Do you pl- I mean, what, what do you do? If you're Peter Vermees in this situation, I mean, if I'm putting my manager hat on right now, um, it's hard to know exactly. But like, sporting with Kyrie, Daniel, and Johnny has been fantastic this year. And like you said, it sometimes is hard to remember like what it's like when Alan Polito's on the field because he hasn't been able to be there. But knowing that his impact is so strong, I think you start. The front three that you've had, Kyrie, Daniel, Johnny, and then you bring Allen on at the 60th minute. That would be my, that would be just based on not knowing at all where he's right. at physically. I'm not concerned whatsoever, like, oh, how is he going to work back? He is such a quality player. He's, I, there's zero concern for me whatsoever with him just coming right in and, and being the same guy. But that would be my, that would be my pick because then you shake things up depending, you let the game kind of breathe a little bit, you let things kind of, fall and then boom you hit him with Polito. I I disagree honestly I just I think I mean if Sporting took 6 points out of the last 9 I would agree with you. Yeah. If Sporting were winning games towards the end of the season to finish it off I would tend to agree that you play the team that have been winning you well, you don't fix what isn't broken. But the last 3 games they played they didn't get a win and I'm just always about you have to start your best team. You have to start your best players. Played was the best player in the team, and as much as you're right, he hasn't been playing, and he hasn't, and he might be if his sharpness is a bit off. My thing is, I wouldn't want to see, and not that I think this will happen by any stage. I wouldn't want to see him come on too late when if Vancouver are one 0 up and they just sit back and there, there's no real space for him to move around or do anything. That's more of when I would say you would bring Kyrie on to try and stretch a bit more later in the game. 
I think you start with your best team. I think I would play Polito personally. Polito, uh, his last appearance, October 3rd. Uh, so it's been a month and a half since he's played in an MLS game. In his 15 starts this year, eight goals and three assists. The biggest thing to me, this guy wins trophies. Mm-hmm. You know, he's won CONCACAF Champions League. He's won uh, Liga Emekis. He's won trophies with every club he's played at. That's why he was brought here. And if the surgery idea was, okay, this knee thing has been just an ongoing pain. Ever since he suffered the injury last year, he'll play for a little bit. Then he's got to shut it down for a little bit. He'll play for a little bit. He's got to shut it down. It seems to me like the decision was get this knee surgery, use the rest of the season to rehab, and then when the playoffs start, we need you. They're paying him big-time money. And big-time money players, to me, he has always played like a big-time money player. Mm-hmm. Now's the time. You know, if you got LeBron James coming back from knee injury, you don't sit him on the bench. You put him out there. So we'll see. I don't know what Peter, Peter Vermees knows what the health is, what the fitness is. I trust in him. He's going to make the right decision on that. I'm hoping we see him in the starting 11 because that means they believe he's got the fitness to go out there and give him at least an hour and produce. And, and Kyrie Shelton is a weapon off the bench. He's a guy that can come in and help. I just like for the first time in over a month, a month and a half, Peter Vermees has options in the attacking three, and he's mm-hmm. got options in the midfield. But imagine if you're Vancouver right now trying to prepare for mm-hmm. what the sporting attack might look yeah. like because you know it's dangerous either way. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, even if you move Shelton out on the or uh, Shelton out on the wing, they're just if, you, if you've got all those pieces, that depth is really scary. Okay, guys, here's the deal: it's win or go home now. Uh, starting on I'm yeah, so it's playoffs. Nothing better than playoff soccer. It's like a cup final every time. They were taking PKs today because this thing could go to PKs if it's level after you know regular time and extra time. 4 o'clock, Saturday. You can watch it on Bally Sports Kansas City. You can listen on ESPN KC 94.5 FM, and you can be there in person by getting tickets at SportingKC.com. For Connell McCourt and Ali Trost, and our thanks to Graham Zussi and Peter Vermees for joining us, we will see you Saturday afternoon at Children's Mercy Park for the playoffs. Let's go. This has been the Sporting KC Show, presented by Michelob Ultra.